0: Romans uh, chapter 5 this morning, uh, and we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 5. Listen then uh, to the word of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come into your presence today and we ask that you would uh, be with us. We ask that you would speak to us from your word uh, as we look at it. We ask that your spirit would be living and active and, and um, breathe into our hearts uh, and use the word of God, which itself is, is living and active. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, instruct us and teach us in your ways, build us up, nourish us uh, in the faith. Uh, give me the, the words to say uh, and may your uh, eternal word uh, be made clear to us today. In Jesus uh, precious name, we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've ever encountered uh, people with confidence. Uh, sometimes you'll encounter someone that is is very boisterous and and loud and and that is how they exude confidence and and then you get to know them and you you discover they're actually covering up for a a lack of confidence. And so they're just overly boisterous and overly forceful in in their personality because actually underneath uh, they're filled with a lot of self doubt. Other times you'll encounter people that have a very quiet and and steadfast sort of confidence. Confidence comes in many forms and, and many shapes. Some of it is real and some of it is not real. I remember a, a, a man that I played soccer with. I don't even remember his uh, name anymore. But he was a, a big guy. And he had long hair down below his shoulders, almost, almost kind of reminded you of a, a really rough figure, like maybe one of those Bible characters that you would see uh, running around. And, and I remember you know, he was, he was a football player, so he worked out and he was well built. And when we lived on Guam... Uh, He was a a military child, and so he had transferred, uh, his parents had transferred out there at one point. And uh, when we lived on Guam, he decided in the football off season to come out and play soccer. And this was a big guy. He was like twice as wide as I was uh, at that age. And I remember playing soccer with him, and he wasn't a very good soccer player uh, just because he had never played before. But when he stepped on the field, people were immediately intimidated by his size. He was a big guy. And there was one particular occasion, and I remember this clear as day because I was on the wing directly uh, across from him. And I remember looking and watching this whole play happen. The ball came to him and he got the ball and the defender ran up against him and ran Into the guy. And this guy was like a brick wall. The other player literally fell back. It almost looked like uh, our guy had pushed him how far he fell back. But I remember watching because I could see his big arms exactly at his side the whole time. The guy was just that big. And he had a confidence about himself. When they ran into him, they bounced off of him. Uh, and yet he was a, a very meek fellow. He was a very quiet fellow. He didn't uh, brag or boast very much. He actually, as I recall, didn't even talk very much. Confidence comes in different shapes uh, and sizes. And some of it's real and some of it's not. Sometimes, as I mentioned already, the people that are the loudest and exude the most confidence are the ones that actually underneath have the least Why am I saying this? Why are we bringing this up? We are in a passage of Scripture this morning where we need to have confidence before God. We need to have a confidence when when we come into His presence. And we can have a confidence. This is the whole aspect of being justified by faith alone. We have confidence access now to God. And so when we think about doctrine, when we think about the teachings of Scripture, these are not just things that we check off on our our doctrinal checklist. Yes, I believe in justification by faith. Yes, I believe in justification by faith alone, that I'm saved only through faith. The question is not just do we believe these things intellectually, do we understand them, but does it give us a settled confidence in our Christian lives? We have confident access before God. When you understand who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, it it gives you an anchor. It gives you something outside of yourself, a rock to build yourself on. We have a confident access before God. So first, notice this morning that justification by faith brings peace with God. You can be confident. That you, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, have peace, eternal peace with God. The genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ enjoys peace. Look at verse one with me, if you will. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All the way from chapter three, verse twenty one to the end of chapter four. Paul has primarily been dealing with what it means to be saved by faith. What do we have? We have justification. It is a verdict that comes from God that we are declared righteous, just as the Lord Jesus Christ Himself is righteous. And we receive that verdict as a gift because of the work of Christ. Christ's righteousness is is reckoned to us, transferred over, given to us on our account because we have believed in him. It is through faith that we receive that gift. He's been expounding that. We've been preaching through that the last uh, number of weeks. And now we get to this, therefore, since we have this, what is the effect? What is the result? What do we draw from this? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You and I have peace with God if we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This peace is, is not primarily just at a subjective inner feeling. This is not saying, are you at peace with yourself? This is not saying, are you calm? This is saying, you have peace with God. That we were enemies with God. There was a war going on. Chapter 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more that we are reconciled, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? Let's focus on the first part. We were enemies... And God has reconciled us, brought us back, and he has established a relationship of peace. The war is over. And you can think back, and perhaps some of you have seen the pictures uh, from World War II when there was finally uh, Victory in Japan Day, VJ Day. And you can think of the, the ticker tape parades. And you think of that famous picture of the sailor bending that woman over and kissing her all the excitement and the joy. and the, the, There was a feeling of peace inside them now. But that feeling of peace was grounded in the reality. The war is over and we can rejoice and we can praise God. And this is what we have now that we have been justified by faith. You can stand before God bearing the cover of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That even though you are a sinner, your sins are washed away and you have a righteousness that comes from outside yourself and you have peace with God. This is a proclamation from God. And and we forget sometimes that in the Old Testament, uh, God was a, a warrior God, a God who who judged sin and and that didn't make him mean and vindictive. His his judgment of sin was an overflow of his holiness, that he is good and perfect and righteous and, and as righteous, he he will not tolerate evil. You saw that today in the the Scripture reading as we continue to read week by week through Genesis. We were at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah today. God judges sin. And the judgment there is a picture, I think, of the end time judgment. That God will one day judge sin fully and finally. Why? Because He's righteous. And He will establish His justice and His righteousness over all creation. But the good news in the midst of that is he reaches down and through the Lord Jesus Christ, he saves a people unto himself and he brings them to saving faith and he works in their hearts. And out of this uh, receiving of salvation by faith, not only are we justified, but we have peace now with God. He makes us his children in this peace This peace is made through the Lord Jesus Christ. If God had not set Jesus Christ forward and sent His Son to die on the cross, there would be no peace between you and I and God. Ephesians chapter 2, talking now about the peace that we have inside the church, grounds it on the peace that we have in our relationship with God. Ephesians 2.14 For Jesus Himself is our peace, who has made both of us one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians two seventeen and 18. And he came, Jesus, and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have access to him, as we'll see in Romans 5, 2. Uh, but we also have now the promise of no condemnation. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a, a blessed announcement. What a blessed promise. Your hope. Your security. Your confidence to to draw close to God and say, I really do have a relationship with Him. It comes not from your abilities, not from your desires to, to reach out to Him, but from His work on you. That He has sent His Son. That He has sent His Holy Spirit to apply the work of the Son. And He has drawn you to Himself. And out of that, you reached up in faith and believed in Him. But it was His work that brought you to Him and you have peace. That verdict will not change. That verdict doesn't ebb and flow. It's not like sometimes I have peace and sometimes I don't. You have the declaration of justification, righteousness declared over you. You have peace from the moment you are saved till all eternity. That is the good news of salvation. That God doesn't lose His children. That He who began a good work in you will carry it forward to completion. We have access, furthermore, we have access to God and and have the ability to stand in grace. Verse 2, through Him we have obtained access by faith, into the grace in which we stand. We can come into the presence of God and we can stand before Him by grace alone. Why does God bring us into His presence? Because of the work of Jesus Christ. Why did God send Jesus Christ to accomplish this work? Because of His grace. There was nothing in you or me that brought this about. God didn't look down and see the potential we had, see that we were basically good people. We have no confidence in ourselves. If you're looking at yourself and saying, what do I have to bring before God? Absolutely nothing. But you can have confidence to come before God. Think of the analogy. Think of the Bible story of Esther. And remember how Esther was married to the king? And remember how she goes to go into the presence of the king, her husband. And, and remember the, the fear that she has to have because you were not allowed to just come into the king's presence without an invitation. Now, I'm not saying that all of this is right. My goodness, they were married But she wasn't allowed to enter his presence and so so she has to go and she's going to appeal uh, to him to to save the Jewish people and she steps out and comes into the presence of the king and there's that that dreadful moment there she has to wait to see if he is going to extend his scepter and say come into my presence again I'm not saying that's right certainly don't do that in your marriage Uh, uh, it certainly, I'm sure, the Queen of England doesn't have a scepter that she waits for her grandkids or her kids to come into her presence. It's, it's a much different day and age and a different culture. But just think of that analogy. And think about how God is a king. And, and think about our, not only our sinfulness, but just the fact that we are unlike God. We are finite and He is infinite. We cannot just waltz into His presence. It is not natural. And should we come into the presence of God with sin? God has every right to judge us and condemn us. You think of God and Moses and Moses asking God, God, can I I just see your glory in Exodus 33? He says, please show me your glory. And God said to him, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before your name the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. And then there's that wonderful imagery of God hides Moses in the cleft of his rock and he covers it with his hand. Of course, we know that God is spirit and so he doesn't literally have a front and a back or a hand. But it's this imagery of Moses cannot stand before God and see the full front face of God, the the full radiance of His glory, or he would be eradicated. He would be judged because of his sin. Think about this. We have access to God. And we can stand by His grace through Him, through Jesus. Jesus. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We can stand before God because we are standing in the grace that God has given us. And He has provided all that we need to have a relationship with Him. And fellowship with Him. And communion with Him. We will in heaven see God face to face. We will sit at his feet, so to speak, before his throne. We will we will bow down. But we will not be wiped out. We will not be eradicated. We will have access to God, just like a little child might run into the throne room of a king and climb up on daddy's lap and and sit there and have himself heard and Have the king pay attention to his child. We have that kind of access with God. You think of Adam and Eve and you think about how they walked with God in the Garden of Eden. And they interacted with him. And you think about how in their sin, they were banished from the presence of God. And the angel uh, uh, stood at the entrance to the Garden of Eden and and stood there with a flaming sword so they, they could not get in. And then you think about uh, the tabernacle. And you think about how in the Old Testament there was the veil between the Holy of Holies. So you could not just go into the presence of God. And even when the high priest on the Day of Atonement goes in, not only does he go in with the blood of a of a shed goat, but he would take that incense and he would you know spread it all over the inner temple so that there was... There was just this fog as he walks into the temple. Did you, did you ever go outside on like a foggy day and, and imagine a, such a thick fog that, that if you were to step out onto the porch of, of, as you leave church today, you could not even see where you parked your car. Or you could not even see the house at the parsonage, which is re- literally just a stone throw away. Imagine that kind of cloudy smoke through the, through the, the inner sanctuary of the temple. So you have kind of an access as you go in as the high priest, but you're not really in the presence of God so you don't get fully eradicated. It's it's veiled and shielded by that smoke. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a high priest that went into the presence of God on our behalf. And now we have access to God. And you can have a confidence in Jesus Christ because of the Gospel Hebrews chapter four sixteen. Let us then, with confidence, draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Hebrews chapter ten verses nineteen to twenty two. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest. Over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance with our hearts hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is what you have, brothers and sisters, in the Gospel. Access to God. And your boldness and your confidence doesn't come from you. It comes from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are entrusting your lives to Him. You are saying that I need forgiveness of sins and I need to be washed with the blood of Christ. And out of that, that being washed, Paul has said, blessed are the man whose sins are forgiven. And Because of that, you have access to the presence of God. You have peace with God. Let me make a couple applications first this morning. Do not take for granted what it means to come before God. I think sometimes we we can be we can be so casual about it. Even even in our own worship we sometimes forget all the symbols in the Old Testament that were to remind us how distinct and separate and, and distant and transcendent God was from us. There was a, a purpose to all of these, these things in the Old Testament that were shadows and signs and symbols to point which to what was to come. It was to say to us, God is holy and you cannot just... Cavalierly waltz into his presence. You don't treat him like a pal or a buddy where you walk up to him and like, hey, yo, fist bump me here. We need to remember that God is not like us, he is far above us and, and infinite in his perfections and his holiness. And and when you start from there and then point to the Gospel, you begin to marvel what is it that this great, mighty Creator of the universe who is infinite, whose ways are not like us, who is far above us just as the heavens are far above the earth. How awesome is it that not only do we have peace with Him, but we are His children. We are adopted into His family and we can come into His presence. You think of the story of Job and throughout Job's uh, the account of Job, he is saying to his friends who are wrongly accusing him of doing something wrong. Job is saying, but let me plead my case before God. That takes confidence that that takes a, a bit of uh, chutzpah, right? A, a, a real boldness to just say, I just need to get before God and tell him my case that all of this suffering is unfair and I didn't do anything wrong. Now, the interesting thing is that Job is right that he didn't do any sin. But Job has this, I just need to have access to God and stand there and tell Him a thing or two and plead my case. And in that respect, Job wasn't entirely in the right. In fact, he's rebuked later for Seeking to justify himself and not justify God. And so God comes at the end of the story of the Job and he says, OK, Job, if you want an audience with me, I have a few questions for you. And he just blows Job out of the water with his knowledge and his power and, and his immensity. And I often think, you know, what would God have said to someone who in, maybe lives in our day and age? If Job have lived in our day and age, and and we know some of the answers to some of, some of the questions, you know, we know how the Earth orbits the solar system, and we know how nuclear fusion and fission work, and we know uh, a little bit about quantum physics and those sorts of things. Can you imagine the kind of questions that God would ask the modern day person to blow them out of the water, to show that God is immense? Don't. Minimize God. Because when you minimize God, your confidence and boldness to stand before Him, you will think that it comes from yourself. At the same time, the second application here is don't fear that you are unable to come before God. Now, in our sin, we are unable to come before God. And you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of sins. But if you are a believer, we should have a holy reverence for God, but not a sheer terror of God. Not a, a, I don't know if I can even talk to God in prayer. Do not fear because your sins are forgiven. You are washed whiter than snow. You are declared righteous, which means you can stand before the judge of the universe and have peace with Him and have a relationship with Him. You see, all of this reminds us, oh my goodness, I do not do these things in and of myself. I have it through grace. I have it through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so your confidence, excuse me, your confidence is not a brash, bold, cavalier, puffed up sort of, I can talk to God. Your confidence is a humble meekness. Look at what God has done for me. How amazing is it? But when I pray, even when I have doubts, even when I know I am wrestling with some sort of sin or some sort of weakness, when I pray as a child of God who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, I have access. And that access is not revoked now nor for all eternity. Do not have fear when you pray. At the same time, do not rely on yourself in your coming to God. Should I be repentant when I sin? Should I have a sorrow when I sin? Should I have a a meekness about myself? When I sin, I come back to God and I confess my sins. And Scripture says He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I don't just walk into his presence and say, "Well, God, I know I've been sinning lately, but, you know, you have to let me in here." I mean, there there should be that that bending the knee and rending the heart before him. At the same time, God will never cut you off from his promises because you have them secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that sense have confidence. And in that sense Do not fear. As a pastor, you tend to encounter two types of people when it comes to this. There's probably all kinds of variations in between, but just for the sake of this, it tends to fall towards one of two weaknesses. The arrogant boldness that comes before God constantly, but does not realize the the grace of God in their coming. That cavalier, I can approach God. That lack of worry when they sin, that they are just unburdened because, well, God will forgive my sins without understanding what our sins are. But then there's another type of, of person, and I think that this passage speaks particularly to that person that person who is shy and timid, that person who is fearful. That person I think that Jesus would describe as a a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. And you think about a a candle that's smoldering and just the the slightest bit of breath will will blow that out. And you think of someone, and maybe this is even yourself, that is so timid, that is so sometimes overwhelmed by the, the perfection of God And the holiness of God and all of those good things. And then they look at their life and they say, of course I am a wretched sinner. And they feel, who am I to come into the presence of God? And that's good in a sense. We should say, who am I to come into the presence of God? And yet, at the same time, you have this wonderful promise in the Gospel. Who are you? You are a child of, who has been justified in the presence of God through faith, receiving the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you can stand in grace. You can stand in grace. And even in those moments of utter self-doubt about yourself and who you are, you can come before God and have a confidence before Him. There are some people that are so overwhelmed by their their sense of guilt that they are just wrecked by it. And not in a good way. In in a sort of of you-can't-get-out-of-bed-in-the-morning kind of way. And it's good to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit is to drive you to Christ. And if you are so overwhelmed in your sin in such a way that you need to remind yourself of the goodness of Christ. The access that your prayers are heard even when you cry out in your bed in the middle of your night in in tears because something is bothering you. And you're not sure if God is listening. God hears. And you have access because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ let that give you a sort of confidence. Not an arrogance, but like that soccer player that I knew. That quiet, meek boldness that when people ran up to him and wanted to attack him in the game of soccer, they bounced off his chest because he knew who he was. And you can know who you are in Christ. Second, this morning, justification by faith leads to rejoicing and boasting. We rejoice in the hope of of God's glory. Through Him we have obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand, in which we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This has been mentioned in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But now what? In Christ we have a hope of the glory of God. Romans chapter 8 verses 17 and 18 the, the glory of God is our eternal destiny if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him for I do not consider the sufferings of this present time are worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed why did God create creation and put Adam and Eve in the garden? He crowned them, as it were, with aspects of the glory of God. They were to be His image bearer. And had they been faithful there, they would have been secured in that and and borne the full glory of God. And creation would have radiated. Jonathan Edwards writes a book, The End for Which God Created the World. And his basic point is God created the world so that in the world he could radiate out the full manifestations of his glory. And that is the purpose for which God has created you for. And the whole storyline of the Bible is sin ruined it. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We have a curse over us. But now you have access to God. And one day you will see the revelation of the full glory of God. And Paul will talk about what we have coming, not only as a resurrection body, but as being glorified. Why does he use that language? Because we will dwell in the glory of God and in that resurrected body, we will radiate out as a mirror, as it were, the fullness of the glory of God. God will put His Spirit in us. And you think about that imagery of the temple. We have the Spirit in us now, by the way, but the the fullness of the Spirit is we have it throughout a resurrected body. You think about the Old Testament and the glory of God radiating out of the temple. And the Old Testament even tells us in Daniel how we in in resurrected in righteousness will shine like the stars in heaven. Can you imagine that? You know, you won't look at people and say, you know, like, how's your hair today? Or what are you wearing? It will, you will look at people and you will be blinded by the glory of God coming off of their faces or out of their hair or uh, maybe out of their beards or whatever it might be. Yes, I will have a, a glorious beard in heaven. <laughs> but we, will, we have this hope in the glory of God. And it's, it's fascinating to hear this language for we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You, you could probably better translate it boast. The, the King James, uh, it's the same word that's used in 1 um, Corinthians 131, let him who boast, boast in the Lord. And, and the King James uh, translates it, let him who glory, glory in the Lord. Uh, Now, it's not the same root word for the word that we think of glory, like radiating glory. But that would be an interesting way of translating it. You know, we glory in the hope of glory. We we boast, though, this this is not just I I don't want to sound disrespectful to singing and I don't want to sound disrespectful to to praise chorus songs, which I I really love. But, But this is not like a a calm little let's all sing a tune. And we are all happy and rejoicing. This is, this is meaty. This is boasting. This is when that excitement just bubbles over it. Over, and you are like, yeah, this is awesome. We, we boast about this. We are excited. We are thankful. All of it wrapped into one. Again, not just sort of a, a calm singing, but a, a, a vibrancy to it. You think about how uh, you boast. And, and, and as guys, you know, we, we love to boast and, you know, we love to boast about silly things, you know, like I can throw a football further than you or whatever. And and we start to rag on each other when you have those kind of competitions. You know, you, you boast and you when you get one up, you have that good nature ribbing and you think of how the boasting works. There's a joy. There's an excitement. There's just a funness to it. And when you when you win, then you really have the boast. If you lose. Well, then you look like an idiot, and that's some of the fun of it on a human level. But why do we boast? And what does that look like when we boast in the glory of God? We have this certain thing coming to us, and so there's a a, a confidence about it, a a boasting that, yeah, this is really coming. Just like a, a soccer player might boast and say, yeah, I can really score this goal because I know I have skill. We can say, I really can boast in the glory of God because I know what's coming. I have a real hope and we need to just sort of exude that. What has the Gospel done for us? And and do we boast in the Lord Jesus Christ with an excitement? And do we boast in the glory that's to come? You think about how awesome the, the future world is going to be. And I mentioned this one of the other weeks. Our, our hope when we die is not just going to heaven, but the final hope is the new heavens and the new earth where the glory of God comes down and and we are in the presence of God in the new heavens and the new earth, there doesn't even need to be a sun because God's glory lights up everything. We won't have streetlights in heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. We won't even have darkness. The glory of God in that new heavens and that new earth where our bodies are put away and there will not be groaning and suffering and getting old... I mean, it is going to be awesome. And we have a confidence now that this is coming. Do we boast in this? Do we glory in this? Do we exalt in this? Imagine what we have coming in the glory of God and what we share in. And how does that give us confidence? But then Paul says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And this is sort of like one of those like record scratch moments where everybody like you know and everybody looks up because you can understand what it means to boast in the coming glory in hope and looking forward to those things. And then you look at your own life now and you say some days are just miserable. And some days have genuine suffering. And hopefully it's suffering of the right kind a a suffering because of godliness, or because you're seeking to live out the Christian life, but he says we rejoice in suffering, and we're tempted, if we're honest with ourselves, to say, "That's really nice for you, Paul. I'll stick to the rejoicing in the hope of glory." But this was a reality for Paul, and you can go into Second Corinthians, and it talks about in chapter eleven all the times he was beaten three times, beaten with rods, left for dead on multiple occasions. You can imagine uh, what his body looked like even after recovering from some of those things. I'm sure he had aches and pains and, and limps. And, and, you know, even just as we get older and we're healthy, uh, sometimes you start to joke, you know, oh, I can tell when it's raining because I have that ache. Can you imagine if you had been beaten and left for dead what your aches and pains would feel like? And then Paul even says he has this overwhelming anxiety for the churches, ministry pressures, worry about people he shared the gospel with and are they growing in the faith and all of those things. Suffering was a constant for Paul. Even in the book of Acts in the early church in chapter 5, it says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering. But he says this, we we know or we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance so we can be so confident in what we have in Jesus Christ in other words this justification by faith that suffering does not cut me off but refines me it builds endurance it builds perseverance it builds character. It builds hope. I am not suffering. If I'm suffering for this cause of Christ, I am not suffering because of sin. I am not suffering because God isn't hearing my prayers. I'm sure we have felt like that at times. My suffering cannot cut me off from the love of Christ as Paul will say in chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so third this morning, justification by faith brings perseverance and Hope. So again, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. So suffering produces something in us. Endurance, then character, which brings hope. Suffering is not in this these circumstances a sign of the curse. Neither is the end my justification or Standing before God, dependent upon how well I suffer. In other words, I'm not paying God back in my suffering. Or if I don't suffer well, if I have weakness in suffering, it's it's not as if God's going to say, well, you didn't do a good job in dealing with this in your earthly life, so I'm I'm not going to let you into heaven now. Rather, you are suffering as a child of God And you can be confident because God does not abandon His own. And as the trials force you to cling, that builds in you something. It's kind of like the runner who only in running the race and practicing running can you build endurance. If you sit on your couch and eat Doritos, you will not build endurance for the race. In the same way, The Lord Jesus Christ often brings these things into our lives, not because we are not children, but because as children, he wants to shape us and mold us and conform us to his image. You think about a sword maker and the sword maker takes a piece of iron metal and that metal that he's going to turn into a sword, it is metal it is already but then he hammers it and pounds on it and puts it into the heat and he shapes it into this sharp sword and maybe he polishes it up so so there is a mirror effect to that metal but that sword has always been metal you have always been from the moment you were saved justified by faith, having peace with God and access to Him. But God's beautiful working in the Gospel is also to conform you to His image. And so we can rejoice, not because we love the pain, not because we love the suffering that we're in. Jesus Himself even despised the shame of the cross. But we can rejoice because we know what God is doing for our benefit. He's shaping us. He's like the track coach there saying, come on, run a little harder. Build that endurance. You can do it. And as we get that endurance, the perseverance builds. And the character builds. We become someone who begins to look more like Christ. And even more, that multiplies our hope. And our hope is not put to shame. Look at verse five. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom has been given to us. You will not get to the end of the race of the Christian life and say all of these things that I hoped in were pointless. You think about how many people in our world go through hardships, go through trials, go through struggles, and they have that thing that they put their hope in. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a bank account. Uh, Maybe it was that someone would come through for them. Maybe it was even a family member. And they hoped in them or that institution or that thing during those moments. And something in life happened and it wrecked them. And in those moments, they, they cling to that thing that they had hope, and it slipped through their fingers like sand. That hope put them to shame. That person, that thing, that, that false God that they were looking to for deliverance, it let them down. But hope in the Lord Jesus Christ will not put us to shame. We will not stand on the day of judgment embarrassed that we trusted in Christ. Shaking our heads and going, oh, this was such a horrible thing that I looked to. And here I am, hopeless and cast away. You will not be shamed. We don't live in a shame and honor culture like Paul did. But you can imagine the things in this life that let us down and shame us. That are embarrassing when you rely on them and they don't come through for you. Jesus will come through for you. It says in Romans 10:11, for the scriptures say, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's an interesting image here. Why do I not have to be shamed? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Uh, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And you just think about that imagery. and You think about a cup and a water and you're just pouring it in. You think about how it runs down and cascades and, and fills up that cup and how refreshing ice water is. Or maybe you're an iced tea person or a cool lemonade on a crisp day. And how that is poured in. And here it is. The love of God is poured into our hearts how do i know god is there god has poured his love into your hearts how do i know god cares about me that he loves me that he's there for me that i'm his child he's poured love into your hearts this is why first john will go on and say you know if you can't love the brothers and sisters around you how can you even claim that that god's love is in your heart because when love is in your heart, it just it just bubbles over. Did you ever talk to a a young lady that just got engaged? Th- those days are probably coming in my house at some point. And and do you ever see how giggly they are and how bubbly they are and how they can't wait to to show off that ring and and all the her girlfriends get around and even the the the, the older uh, middle aged ladies or the old ladies and they're all like. Yeah! You know, and, and this super amount of excitement. Why? Because she's got love in her heart. And it's been poured into her heart, if we can use that analogy, by her fiancé. How much more has God poured love into your heart? I'm not saying, guys, that we need to be all giggly and squealy because we're Christians. But there should be that love in us. God gave you the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and he dwells in you. There is a Trinitarian aspect brought out in this passage. We have peace with God, God the Father, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, God uh, and his glory, I think referring probably to the Father, although maybe all three of the persons because they all have glory. And then here the work of the Spirit he will go on as we see next week, to talk about the work of Christ, to talk about the Father, all of these things. just Paul is Trinitarian. And we sometimes give the Holy Spirit a short shrift. We pay less attention to Him. But He is no less God than the other two persons. And He has poured out the Father's love into your hearts. And He seals you for the day of redemption. Does this flow into you? Is it grounded in the truth that you are justified, you are united to Christ and you have the Holy Spirit poured into you? If you know Jesus, you have peace with God and you are truly justified and your verdict is secure. The triune God so loved you that the Father sent the Son. The Son died for you. The Father further sealed you with the Holy Spirit and poured out the love of God into your hearts. You have everything you need, both now and for eternity, to have confident access to God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day and your goodness and your kindness and your love and just the way that you have poured out the love of God into our hearts. May that love and that hope of glory just uh, overflow from our hearts, even as you describe streams of water flowing from the hearts of, of the redeemed, that we might boast in the hope of glory and even in those difficult circumstances boast in Your goodness in and through our sufferings, as hard as that is to say. May we look to You and see You as the great and mighty, the glorious and majestic, triune, uh, creator and sovereign God. The great I am who I am. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.